We are thankful to God for the opportunity to continue our series. This is a nine-part series. It's a very complicated setup. It's a nine-part series split into two parts in, in, the, in the purpose and power of time. The two parts are the purpose of time, the first four sessions, and then the last five sessions will look at the power of time. But the entire series together is the purpose and power of time. And last week, we, of course, this is, has all come from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, uh, basically the first uh, eight verses thereabouts, but we're reading as a text through these four weeks. Uh, the first four weeks we are reading as a text, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 11. So we are grateful to God for that. But I want to say this, that um, as we looked at last week, uh, we established that time is uh, basically a, a portion of eternity that God has carved out for there to be a beginning and an end. There is a beginning of time as we now have in our dispensation and there's going to be an end. And it is always very good for believers to be focused on the fact that we are not running an infinite journey here on earth. It saves you the stress and the agony of the things that people die for and kill themselves over. A couple of weeks ago, I was telling you of uh, the story I, I, I got reminded of a few Weeks ago, and I was telling my wife how somebody broke into our house in the late 70s to try and steal one of those box-type televisions. And he nearly killed himself because the window he broke in through was very high. So when he jumped, when we discovered that there was a thief there, my father came and woke my brother and I just so that we give him a, a backup. And when we went to the living room to, to accost this guy, and he saw us coming, he left the TV. He had already carried it to the window, but left the TV, jumped over that tall window, and nearly broke his leg, you know, doing so, just to steal that kind of a television. But you see, as far as he was concerned, that was life, that time. Now, some of you have never seen those kind of TVs, except you see some of these things called antiques. But this is the reality. Even today, the things that people are dying for and trying to just get are temporal. So a believer must live in the conscientiousness of the fact that time has a beginning and has an end, and there are phases in time. The things that are important to you now were not so important to you 10 years ago, and they won't be important to you. Jesus starting to come 10 years' time. I can assure you that. So how do you live a life that gives you peace and, and, uh, and fulfillment every step of the way? This is what this purpose of time is helping us to establish. So last week we looked at, very importantly, we looked at the process of living, being made alive and dying, uh, basically initiation and expiration. This week we'll be looking at the theme, termination and uh, expressions. I am the one that coined these words, they are not biblical terms per se, but I was trying to look for words to summarize the couple of verses we'll be looking at on, in, in that portion of scripture. Today we are looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 3, and Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 4. When we talk about termination, we are talking about the process, in my definition, of bringing something to an end so that we can make way for something new. We bring something to an end. There is a need to terminate something and, uh, so that you can allow something to fester or start again, or start afresh, rather. This is what termination is. And the word expression is really all about being able to use our God-given emotions to live through life, to live through the seasons and the challenges of life. Our emotions are given to us by God to live through difficult situations, somebody said difficult situations, and also to live through joyful and pleasant situations. Somebody say joyful and pleasant situations. 
So we'll look at that very shortly. Now, we're going to, I'm going to, again, ask you to write down a lot today because I believe that there are a lot of, especially those of you who will lead sessions in the course of the week, there are a lot of things that you will need to pick out of this and expand as we go on in the week, but I'm just going to try my best to touch on as many of those things as I can this morning. So the concept of termination is about bringing to an end something to create a new thing in order to allow something to happen again. Ecclesiastes 3.3 says this. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 3. He said, there is a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up. There is a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up. So we're talking about four things here that we need to understand. Killing, healing, breakdown, and building up. And we're saying that these four things connote aspects of termination. We need to understand what do we need to kill if there is a time to kill? What do we need to heal? And how do we heal if there is a time to heal? What do we need to break down uh, and, and to make break down if there is a time to break down? And what do we need to build up if there is a time to build up? Now we can look at those things in the literal and just simply say that obviously a time to kill can mean killing something and then that is it. You know, you, you want to, uh, you, you live in a farm and you want to slaughter a chicken to eat. You can kill it and eat it. That's the time to kill it and eat it. It can be that literal. That's the truth. That's the time to kill it and eat it up. But we're, we're talking serious things now which we need to understand in terms of our life processes and uh, us achieving purpose. I want to give us some things that we need to recognize need to be killed in our lives. We don't kill people. We don't kill, uh, we don't kill people we don't like because that would be murder. That would be violating the very laws of God that says we should love our neighbor as ourselves. So none of this has anything to do with that kind of killing. But we need to understand that we need to kill some of these things so that we can give way to the things I'll be mentioning. Number one, we need to kill carnality for spirituality. We need to kill carnality for spirituality. We need to keep putting to an end carnality in our lives to allow spirituality to grow. You see, every one of our lives is like a, it's like a space that cannot be a vacuum. Something must fill our heart. When we are not born again, our heart is full of carnality. When we are born again, the spirit of the Lord comes in and then our mind, of course, our spirit is taken over by the spirit of God, but our mind continues to need a transformation. That's why the Bible says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the spirit of God walks on our mind and keeps giving us victory over the remainder of carnality that is there. So, every one of us must understand. Colossians 3.5 says, Therefore put to death. Somebody say put to death. Colossians 3.5, thank you. Therefore put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Basically, put to death everything idolatrous. Everything that is trying to take your heart away from God. Put it to death. He said, put to death fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. These things don't just go away because you are born again. 
Of course, there will be a natural inclination that will happen to you not to want to desire those things again because now you are being led by the Spirit of God. But you must understand that you have a responsibility after to keep putting them to death. Any manifestation, any uh, sense, any time you are sensitized to the presence of any of these things in your life, it's not a time for you to give up and say, oh, I'm a wreck, I'm a wretched sinner, my life cannot be over. No, it is a time for you to do warfare and put them to death. Hallelujah. He said, because of these things, verse 6, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Verse 7 says, in which you yourself once walked, in which you yourself once walked when you lived in them. There was a time you lived like that. So you must understand that now that you are born again, now that you are a new creation in Christ, those things may still be wanting you and calling for your attention, especially if you have sources where those things were coming from. If you have friends and relationships that used to put you in those situations and those relationships are still there. You can't just imagine that now that you are born again, the desire for those people or those things to want to bring those things your way will just die naturally. You have to put it to death. And part of what you do to put it to death is to sever such relationships. The Bible says, do not be deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. So if a communication is evil and is trying to bring corruption your way, you have to kill that relationship in love. You are not killing the person. You are not hurting them in, in that way. They may, be, they, may be, uh, uh, not, they may not be pleased that you are, you are severing a relationship from them. But of course, you can always say hello. You can always do those things that you can do so that it doesn't show that you have some kind of bitterness or anger or, uh, or malice towards them. But rather, you are just making sure that you are killing every source and every opportunity that the enemy will want to use to give you that. So we must keep killing carnality. Carnality is not just in fornication and those things that are very obvious. Carnality also involves us being hypocritical whereby we are not able to be truthful, whereby we are not able to stand as Christians where we should stand. We need to look out for these signs and make sure that we deal with them accordingly. So we must kill carnality for spirituality. Number two, we must kill pride for humility. We talk about pride a lot because it is the biggest thing that got, that got Satan in trouble, Lucifer as he was, in trouble and cast him out of heaven. And it is the same spirit he is now using today to try to make many people have a severed relationship with God. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5. He said, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. You younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. When he says be clothed with humility, it means... Take it the way you dressed up this morning. When you came out of your shower and you, you freshened up and you came up, you put on your clothes. That's the same way. You must conscientiously put on humility every time. Because like I've always said to you, as you move in life, pride wants to put himself in your life. You can never really know a person. You can never say somebody is humble until you test them with certain levels of life, certain amount of money. When some people have money, you can't talk to them again. <laughs> Before the money came, everybody could talk with them. They related freely. But the moment money came, their shoulder goes high like that. 
That's where you know that that person, it was just, he was just waiting for the bar to, to demonstrate his pride. <laughs> and so we must understand this. Every one of us must keep checking our lives. As we grow, the potential and propensity for pride will always come in. But the Bible says that we must clothe ourselves with humility. And in verse 6, it says, therefore, read verse 6 with me. I think you can see it on the screen. Let's go together. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Somebody say, I will kill pride for humility. I will destroy pride for humility so that my lifting can, can come by the mighty hand of God. You see, when God promotes you, you are forever lifted. This is what you should strive for. Many people are striving for man's promotion, which is fine. I mean, you should do your work and get promoted. Don't go to the workplace and say, my pastor told me that it's God that promotes. So you are fighting everybody there and waiting for God's promotion. I didn't say that. But the reality is this. When man lifts you, man can bring you down. Many people bootlick and get positions. And if care is not taken, they need to keep bootlicking to keep themselves in those positions. But when God lifts you to a position that he himself has put you, no human being can put you down. When they were saying Saul had slain his 1,000 and David his tens of thousands, and the man said, I will kill this guy because he's now the star in town. Basically, my paraphrase. When he was saying that, what he thought in his mind was that if only I can kill David, that would be the end. But he didn't know that the, the force that put David in that elevated position has nothing to do with human, human forces. So it was impossible to kill David. You and I must understand that if we continue to pursue humility, we give room to God to do the promotion himself. You give room to God to do the lifting himself. Many pastors have run ahead of God. They were called truly, but when they've waited five years, it's like they're just on the treadmill. The thing is not moving. <laughs> then they start to add some things. <laughs> They start to make some things that will spice it up a bit more. And God say, wait for me. I know what I'm doing. They know. They say, hey, God, all my friends, the ones we started together, they... <laughs> Hallelujah. It happens to anybody. Everybody must understand. But when they humble themselves and say, Lord, just have your way in my life. Whatever you want to do with me, just do. Every day, you give room for God to lift you. And I decree that God will keep lifting you himself. In the name of Jesus. We must kill, number three, kill unbelief for faith. We have a lot of things to cover today, so I'm just going through these things very quickly. Write down Mark chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. This is the story of the man whose son was sick with a palsy, what we call epilepsy in, in modern English, and he used to throw him in the fire and the water. Can you imagine, God forbid, you see your own child being tormented that way? You know, the biggest pain of a parent is seeing something happen to your child and you are helpless about it. Very painful. Very painful. This man will see his own son fly into the fire, come out of the fire, fire, go into the water and almost be drowning. And then they will pull him out again. Just controlled by this spirit. So he went to the disciples of Jesus. He said, please have mercy on my son. Heal him. And then the, the, the disciples prayed every prayer they could pray. They didn't know what was happening until Jesus came on the scene. Then Jesus said to him in verse 23, the Bible says, Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Somebody say, Lord, help me 
to overcome unbelief. And the Bible says in verse 24, immediately, immediately, sorry, go back to Mark 9, 24. Thank you. He said, immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. If what I need to get this deliverance is for me to believe, I believe. But I want you to know that I also need you to help my unbelief because I'm human, I'm frail. Jesus never turns away from anyone who shows that he needs the mercy of God. Never. We have a pompous generation. If it was one of our Pentecostal people of today, if Jesus said, only believe, say, Lord, I believe. I believe. I, in fact, I believe more than you can imagine. <laughs> I've been believing before you got here. <laughs> My name is called Believing Believer. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but you see, we are in a generation that is full of pride in that way. But this man said, Lord, I believe. Of course, because if you say to me, what I need to do is this, I'll do it. I believe. But you know something, Lord? Help my own belief. This is how we must understand that we have to keep dealing with unbelief in humility. Nobody must come to a point where they ever think that they can be an unbeliever. What I mean by that is not denying Christ totally, but not believing the things God sent to them. You see, what you need to understand about unbelief is not until you say that Jesus is not Lord. Unbelief is very subtle. How many people believe what I'm saying right now? Only God knows. I pray you all do. And I pray those online do. But the reality is that it is the fruit that will show it. As a preacher for many years, even before coming into this role by the grace of God, I can tell you some very funny things. You share something in church, you share it with all your heart, all, almost all your energy going out. You finish the service, and then two weeks later, one brother will come and say, ah, pastor, I just heard one revelation, or three weeks later. Say, what was the revelation? He say, ah, TDJ just preached, or, or some great, great preacher, thank God for them, just preached some powerful message. And this is what he said. And you'll be wondering, but that was exactly what I said three weeks ago. <laughs> You'll be asking yourself whether you are dreaming or something else. You say, well, what is exactly what I was saying three weeks ago? In fact, no difference. The man of God just helped use his experience to garnish it very well. You know what you just do? Just rejoice with them. If not, you'll be very angry with them. <laughs> just rejoice that at last, at least they got it. Whether it was T.D. Jakes or Joyce Meyer, at least they got it at last. But it shows that there was unbelief the first time. They heard it but they did not believe. The Bible says they had the word, Hebrews 4, but it did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith. It was perverted with unbelief. Every one of us must understand when we gather. You see, it doesn't even have to be a preacher. How much do you understand and recognize when your spouse is being used to speak to you or your child is being used to speak to you? Or a friend, a godly person who has the spirit of God in them. How many times do you decipher that this is God speaking and you humble yourself to believe what they're saying? Many people are looking for prophets. But you know something? Prophets, a prophet is simply anyone God graces to release the word of God to a person or to a people. The Bible says prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as the spirit of God grant utterance. So whoever is that holy man... And God puts an utterance for you or for a group or for your family or whatever it is. Take it as the word of God and believe it and act on it. So we must keep destroying unbelief for faith. May God help us in Jesus' name. 
We need to keep destroying fear. Number four, destroy fear for courage. Destroy fear for courage. Fear is a spirit. The Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear. Fear is a spirit. And when something is a spirit, the same way God is a spirit, it also has control. The Bible says God is a spirit. Fear is a spirit. You must understand that fear is not a joker. Fear just wants to look at your life, look at where your faith level is, and then he just steps just one step higher, and he comes. And until you learn how to take on the spirit of power, of boldness, of love that God has put on your inside to rise up and confront him at that new level, you will be afraid, whoever you are. That was the difference of Elijah in 1 Kings 18 and 1 Kings 19. The one that stood before 400 prophets of Baal and say, call on your God. Maybe he has gone to bed. Maybe he has gone on a holiday. I was playing with 400 people who had the potential to kill him in an instance. But ran away from one woman because he has heard that that woman was killing anyone who was naming the name of the Lord. And all he needed to do then is to say, Lord, give me the next level of faith for this woman. Help me to confront her. But the man of God took off. He took off quick, fast. <laughs> that man can run. He can run seriously. It was not just the horses of Ahab. He outran. When the Ahab one, the Jezebel one came, the, the speed, <laughs> the speed was something else. So if God puts those things in script, now the Bible talks about this man as a man that is of like passions like us. This was not a, an, a simple man. He was a great man. The Bible says this man prayed that it should rain and it rained. He prayed that it should stop raining, stop raining. He is not a joker. So, if, but why does the Bible make us see such things? If he ran from one woman and Uncle Peter, who was always saying, I will be there to, to fight for you, to do everything, ran from one little girl, it should show you that what can bring fear may be something you don't even expect. It should show you that you need God consistently to keep dealing for fear, for courage. If you are going to do anything in this life, you need to be courageous. I've said this so many times. There is no way, absolutely no way, you can do anything extraordinary if you are a fearful person. It's impossible. How can you? It just doesn't work. It doesn't work because you need something on your inside that keeps challenging the things that will be thrown against you. The moment you stick your head out of a parapet to say, I want to do this thing. I want to start this new business. I want to start this online business. I want to start this ministry. I want to do this assignment. The moment you stick your head out of the parapet, they are waiting. Arrows, many of them. <laughs> they are all over the place. From every corner, they will be telling you why you are incompetent, why you are not the right person, why you are not the right fit. So you must be preparing yourself every time. God said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1.6, Jeremiah said, I am a youth. Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak because I'm a youth. Verse 7. But the Lord said to me, do not say. Tell your neighbor for me, stop saying. I am a youth. Say, stop saying. I am incompetent. Say, stop saying. I don't have the right qualifications. Stay, stop, say, stop saying. I don't have the right gender. Say, stop saying, I cannot do it. He said, do not say I'm a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and wherever I command you, you shall speak. Verse 8 is where your confidence should come from. Verse 8, verse 8, very quickly, verse 8. He said, do not be afraid. 
of their faces for what I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. So what you need is the presence of God. The only thing you need is the assurance that one, you have been sent and two, God is with you. When anybody comes to meet me and say, Pastor, I believe God is calling me to ministry. God is calling me to ministry. I just don't know how I'm going to step out and to do it. And I've, by the grace of God, counseled several people like that over the years, even before I came into this role, by the grace of God. But what I always say to them is, first thing is, are you sure he's calling you? I have three questions for you. Number one, are you sure he's calling you? Say, yes, sir. I, I believe he's calling me. Question two, are you sure he's calling you? Say, yes, I believe he's calling me. Number three, are you very, very sure he's calling you? <laughs> because if you can say yes to the fact that God is calling you, you have nothing to fear. He who calls is faithful to do it. He who promises is faithful to make it come to pass. There are many things that will tell you that you can't do it. All you need to smile and do is say, it's not me. It's not my power. It's not by power, nor by might, but by his spirit, says the Lord. I am not standing because I know anything to do. I am not able to do because I am intellectually sound. No, none of those things. I am able to do because God is with me. Hallelujah. Even Jesus Christ himself, when he was here or not, the Bible said, for God was with him. Acts 10, 38. He went about doing good, for God was with him. For God was with him. God with you, you will continue to overcome. In the name of Jesus. That is how we get courage. That is how we get courage. When I first came into this country, I was fresh from Nigeria, and I was just thrown into a class to teach a subject that I was learning, basically. I mean, I had the basic training for my engineering discipline, but I, I didn't know about the UK practices. So I was just learning it as well. And then, you know, God helped me through that. And then they now brought some managers. Can you imagine, not students now, managers and captains of industry around the region, about 25 of them per session. We did about 100 of them, but each session had about 25. And they brought them and put them in the class and said, I should teach them something. <laughs> These are people who should be teaching me what was happening in industry. I said, Lord, you need to help me here because I don't know what to say to these people. God said to me, say, you have finished your PhD, don't you? Haven't you? I said, yes. He said, you have PhD. He said, they don't have PhD. <laughs> he said, that's number one. <laughs> he said, number two, are you not a qualified engineer? He said, I said, yes. He said, huh, that is it. Tell them you are one. So when I get into the class, I'll introduce myself. I'll say, I am doctor, doctor, doctor. <laughs> I'll call that doctor as many times as I can so that all of them will keep quiet first. <laughs> Then I'll put my name <laughs> after they have had the doctor very well. Then the projects I've done back in Africa that, you know, were worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Where these are prestigious things that not too many people get an opportunity in their career to touch. I say I have managed projects worth over $120 million. I won't tell them where it is because they will not respect me if I say it's Africa. So I'll first harass them like that. <laughs> that is the wisdom of God. Then all of them will keep quiet. If not, when they came into the club, all of them are looking at me like, what would this one say? So if, if you are not careful, you'll be shaking. <laughs> you'll be shaking. But when you put all those things down, all of them is, ah, this one is not it. <laughs> and then I'll say to them, then God now gave me another wisdom. He said, don't try to teach them. You don't have anything to teach them. He says, so what you do is this. Teach them the theory in 15 minutes. 
Then the remaining one and a half hours, tell them to be talking. I said, Lord, how do I do that? He said, just tell them, this is, the, this is the theory of the thing. Then ask each of them how they have applied it in their various organizations. Hallelujah. <laughs> so I will say this is what the theory is. And I'll give them all the regulations. Then I'll call the first one. Andrew, what did you do? You said you have been on that project. You did. You were part of uh, M6 Toll. What did you do? How did you manage all the processes? Then they, hey, Andrew will talk for the next 20 minutes. As he's talking, I'm writing down what he's saying. <laughs> I say, carry on, carry on. You know, say some more. <laughs> then the other one in the other corner, I will say, no, you didn't get that, that data right. That, what happened was that they changed that regulation. I will quickly note that one again. <laughs> so by the time I was reaching the next group, you thought I was the one that built M6 toll. <laughs> <laughs> you need to be bold. You need to be bold. I have a family to feed. So there's no. <laughs> oh, will I go home and tell my wife that they gave me opportunity, but I couldn't. Ah. <laughs> I have a family to feed. So we have to make it work. <laughs> Hallelujah. You need to be bold. Anything God calls you to do, you need to. Fear will come. Believe me, fear will come. Do you think I don't get afraid even for the work from time to time? The moment I'm thinking of the next level, something will come and tell me, hey, hey, don't try, just stay where you are now. Don't try that one. But you know what? I always tell him the same thing I said at the first time, that God with us, we will continue to overcome. And you will continue to overcome in the name of Jesus. So you must keep killing fear for courage. Things to overcome so that we can facilitate healing. The Bible says there is a time to heal. We read Ecclesiastes 3.3. 3. There is a time to heal. If you want to experience healing, you must know how to overcome factual reports. I call them factual reports. These are reports that are real by way of scientific evidence or by way of experiences of life that you have encountered. A medical report, most of the time, is factual. It is based on proven principles, and we cannot just say it is not real. Somebody has tested, and they say, this is what they diagnosed. That's a factual report. That's a factual report. Betrayal. People betraying you before and making you sad, making you, you know, every time you think about it, making you feel dejected and depressed. That is a factual report. People have slandered you before. People have said things about you to try to malign you and to give you a bad name behind you. That is a factual report. Whatever those things are, we must know how to facilitate their termination so that we can receive our healing. Many people are not healed today because they are holding on to too many factual reports, whether it is medical or whether it is what somebody did for you before. Isaiah 53 verse 1, he said, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Do you believe the report of the Lord or the factual report? Every factual report, check the scriptures, has a converse. If it's a negative factual report, has a converse of the exact thing in scripture. If it is a sickness, in verse 4, he says, surely he has borne our griefs. If it is something they have done to you, he says, surely, verse 4, he has borne our griefs. So all the things that gave you grief, he has already borne it. That was the factual report that they tried to malign you and give you a bad name and you are grieved by it or you have suffered something by it. But the Bible says he has borne our griefs already. 
Anything that was giving you sorrow because of things done to you and your experiences of life, the Bible says he has carried our sorrows. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and he was afflicted. And verse 5 says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. Even when there is a factual rep report that you have fallen again, he was wounded for your transgression. You need to stop that report of the enemy that says that you are doomed for condemnation. Because his word says there is therefore now no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk after the flesh, but according to the spirit. Every one of us must understand that these are the tools we use to stop those factual reports. Now, of course, like I've always said over and over, that doesn't mean we play with our health and, or play with, 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 with misbehaviors that will give room for the enemy to give these factual reports something. It doesn't mean so at all, but we must understand when we are, there are factual reports, if we cannot deal with them, it cannot facilitate our healing. The Bible says he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Not that we will be healed. Not that we will, we will, we will get our healing later. The healing has been rectified already. And I decree that God will continue to give us victory over every factual report. In the mighty name of Jesus. We don't deny the presence of evil. We never deny the presence of factual reports. It is foolishness to do so. But also we must understand, the Bible says we must believe the report of the Lord because the report of the Lord is superior. The report of the Lord is more powerful. The report of the Lord is all powerful and will give us victory in Jesus' name. We must, to get our healing, we must also, uh, um, we must deal with unforgiveness. Sometimes, some of the bitter experiences we have had in life has kept us in a place whereby we live in unforgiveness. Many people don't know that they're even living in unforgiveness. Many people cannot forgive their parents because they felt that the parents treated them badly, especially at times when there were extreme cases of abuse. And I always refer people to such testimonies, outstanding testimonies like those of uh, Mrs. Joyce Meyer, who was abused as a child uh, by her own father. And an extraordinary period of life coming to Christ, getting into ministry, and then God using her to forgive the same person and now ministering to the same man to be born again. This has nothing to do with condoning any form of abuse whatsoever. But you see, unforgiveness keeps you in prison. It doesn't keep the person that you are refusing to forgive in prison. Unforgiveness keeps you in prison, so you must let go if you want to be healed. You must never hold people in your heart. Let it out. Let it out. If you can't speak to them directly, find somebody you can unload and offload and pray with them, no matter how difficult it is. And I know you might be looking at me and saying, but Brother Dave, you don't know what they've done. I trusted them. I did this. I did that. And I can tell you, God can heal. God can heal that bitter experience you have had. And you need to release them. Mark eleven twenty-five. He said, when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may forgive you. He said, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. You want to be forgiven so that you can have answers to your prayers? You need to forgive others. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He said, he said we should pray like this. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So it works both ways. Don't hold on to unforgiveness. 
You will always have reasons. No matter who you are, don't say, I'm so, my life is so free, there's nobody. No, 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 it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. Don't, the Bible says, he that thinks he stands, let him take heed, lest he falls. The devil will always use people and use things, especially people, to want to make you walk in unforgiveness. Don't allow it. Don't allow it. People in your workplace, people in your family, extended family, some of you have in-laws that just would not like to see your face no matter what you do. I'm, I'm blessed by the grace of God. I don't have that kind of thing around me, but I've heard stories of people who whose in-laws just don't want to see them. They don't want to have anything to do with them. And they've tried everything to win them over. Don't, don't be hurt by it. Keep praying for them and free your mind of unforgiveness. And some of us, even sadly, sad to say, in the church life, we will have reasons to step on each other's toes from time to time. We will have things that will make us not want to be pleased with one another. Never allow unforgiveness. Somebody say, let it out. Say, let it out and let it go. Don't let it out and catch it again. <laughs> so people let it out and then they say, ah, then they catch it again. <laughs> no, let it out and let it go. Hallelujah. We need to deal also, number three, under healing. I hope you have been numbering correctly. I started under facilitation of healing. Number one is factual reports. Number two is unforgiveness. Number three, release anger and bitterness. When some people get angry, you can't stop them again. When I was very young, there was a, a, a play called The Incredible Hulk. That man, when you hurt him, he would just get angry and turn to one big monster like that. <laughs> Some people are like that in the spirit. When they get angry, they turn to a hulk in the spirit. You, don't, you still see the size you are seeing, but in the spirit, they are like a hulk. <laughs> Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. You are permitted to be angry. You are human. But never let it turn to sin. You know how it turns to sin? When you continue to think about it and you want to act by it. You want to you sleep over it. He said, do not let the sun go down on your heart. And you don't have to be waiting. They did it to you at 7 a.m. Your spouse told you something that you didn't like. Then you started to count the time that the sun is still out. <laughs> say, because Bible says until the sun goes down. <laughs> So you refuse to eat, you refuse to talk. They say, ah, talk now. You say, no, the sun is still out. <laughs> and when the sun starts going down, I say, okay, come, let us talk now. I want to obey the Bible. <laughs> That's not what the Bible is saying. It's just saying, don't give it time. Be angry, do not sin. You know you're angry, talk about it. Just like I just said about unforgiveness. Talk about it and move on. Talk about it and move on. Now, People do say there are different coping strategies and things. And I've always said, I want to respect that. But you know what? I just want to follow the Bible. I just want to follow the Bible. Talk about things and move on quickly. If you want to heal, you must be somebody who does not allow anger to control. The Bible says anger rests in the bosom of fools. Don't let anger rule over you. That's why the last element of the fruit of the Spirit is called self-control. Self-control doesn't just mean you stop yourself from eating one big pizza. That is part of it, but that's not all of it. <laughs> that's part of it. You don't know it's self-control. When you are very hungry and they bring it 12-inch 12, 12 diameter pizza for family, and you start it one by one, <laughs> and you are working with it, then self-control say, you know, this next piece is overdoing it. He say, no, I'll continue. No, that's not just self-control. Self-control also means that you refuse those things that the enemy wants to put onto you to make you to continue to be ruled by anger. 
May God continue to help us in Jesus' name. So he says that there is a time to break down. So things to break down. Things to break down. We're still under termination. I'll move quickly now. Hardened aspects of our heart, number one. That is basically the only point there. Hardened aspects of our heart. We need to break them down for a contrite heart. Many of us don't know that we, when we dealt with the condition of the heart of man, and we talked about rocky ground, you will remember this. Many of us don't know that certain parts of our hearts have become very, very hardened. When a, a, an earth is hardened, it becomes difficult for seed to be planted in it. In fact, you can't plant seed in it because it will not be able to gain root. So the devil is the one that wants to make your heart hard so that the word of God, you are hearing it, but it cannot bear it cannot get root in your heart. Therefore, there can be no fruit of it. Matthew 19, Jesus was speaking about why Moses gave them a certificate of divorce. In verse 6, he says, So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Verse 7 says, They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And verse 8, he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart. Moses could not handle the hardness of your heart. There is no way my word could get into your heart. So because of the hardness of your heart, the Bible says he permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Genesis 2.24 has nothing to do with divorce. There was no exit plan. He said, for this purpose, a man will leave his father and mother and they will cleave together and become one flesh. He would have continued to say, and if the one flesh is not finding it funny anymore, they should separate and become two again. There was no plan. From the beginning, it was not so. But for the hardness of the heart of the people, he said, take the marriage of the certificate of divorce if you want, if that will give you peace. Now, the permissive will of God, what we call the permissive will of God, is still in operation. The spirit of God will not strive with man. If God says, go this way, and you insist that you want to go this way, he's not going to, unless there's just some extraordinary reason, he's not going to come and stop you from going that way. He will permit you to go the negative way you want to go. So every one of us must be careful because hardness of heart makes us do things that are contrary to the will of God. He said, I want to be your God. I have prophets. Look at Samuel. He's a man whose words never fall to the ground. A man of integrity. A man who will not sell anything. A man who will not do anything. A man who will not manipulate you in any way. He will be my mouthpiece. He will speak to you. They say, no, we want a king. We want a king. Give us a king. And then he said, you know, this king is going to take you to war. He's going to take you to battle. Instead of you to allow me to be the one who will fight your enemies and give you the land and promise, they say, no, we want a king. And then he gave them Saul. And the rest is history. <laughs> the rest is history. But the truth of the matter is that we should be very careful not to allow our hearts to be hardened. Whoever we are. When David saw in Psalm 51 that his heart was hardened, he said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew the right spirit with me. He said, because a broken and a contrite heart you will not despise. Give me that broken heart, basically. So things to break down. Key is our hardened hearts. We can look at other things, but let's move on. Things to build. He said, there is a time to build. Things to build. We need to build our faith and those of others. That is important. Jude 1.20 says, but you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying always in the spirit. Building up yourself 
upon your most holy faith, praying always in the spirit. How do we do that? Keep yourselves, verse 21, in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. He said, and on some have compassion, making a distinction. Let it be that you are having compassion, help, willing to help others in the journey. As you are building your most holy faith, you are also seeking to help others. And then, but some, in verse 23, he said, but on others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. We have a responsibility to ourselves to build up our faith and to help our brethren in love. When he say pull them out of the fire, it doesn't mean be rude to them or, or do something that is tantamount to bullying. No, it just simply means out of that love, what we in our day and age call tough love, out of that love, you stand firm. You stand firm and you help that person to say, no, brother, I want to trust God with you that you will not fall victim of this device of the enemy. You pray with them. You support them. It will not be easy. You are building your own faith, but you are also helping them. We have a generation now that we give up so easily. We give up so easily when people, you know, misbehave and they, they do things in a contrary way. We just give up on them. We just give up on them because we feel that they are not, you know, they are not serious. We've told them first time, we've told them second time, so they just, they just wander off. And we have to be a people who are serious to say, I will keep doing everything that is physically possible for me to help my brothers to stand. And of course, at times you can't do more than you can, but you have to make the effort and trust God to help you. So we need to build our faith. Say, Lord, help me to build my faith and the faith of my brethren. Very, very important. Hebrews 10, 24 says, let us consider one another to stir up love and good works. Let us stir up love and good works. Let us not stir up jealousy. Let's not stir up malice and anger and bitterness. Many brethren, sadly, in our day and age, they get bitter and they stir up bitterness in churches and cause problems. These are devices of the devil. When you are not happy about something, deal with it. Don't go about spreading bitterness. Stir up love. Let everyone you speak to hear from you in such a way that something about the love of God and love of people is welling up on their inside again. Ask any of the church leaders here. Anytime we are speaking, you know I like laughing a lot. I'll make sure that there's something to laugh about or it just happens, not that I intentionally do it. But at the same time, the conversation is always how we build, how we build, how we build. My wife and I can talk. We can talk at times, you know, one hour, two hours. We don't talk anything. We don't talk nonsense. It's just always how we build, how we stir up one another and others onto good works. She will ask me, have you called this person? Have you thought about this? What do you think we can do about this? What do you think? This, we have done this for almost 30 years that we have known each other. I want us all to understand that this is what brings fulfillment in life. Steering others up, building others up. The joy you have in life is to hear the success story of the people you had a little thing to contribute. It is such a joyful thing. Such a joyful thing. I know the first day I wore my doctoral robe and I was congratulated for getting that degree, I was very happy. Nobody won't be. After four years, the three to four years that your head was almost going berserk, <laughs> you will be very happy. <laughs> So I wouldn't deny the fact I was very happy. But I find that over the years, the greatest joy I have had in my university 
you stand on the stage with your student. The greatest joy I've had is shaking hands with those that have been able to bring through the same process, wearing the same robes. There is joy in building others. Keep going for it. So time to build. Look for the opportunity. It doesn't have to be something elaborate. Every opportunity God gives you to add a little here, a little there, building somebody, a little counsel there. I don't read for myself alone unless I don't know your story. If you told me that this is what you are studying and what you are doing or this business that you are in, it stays in my memory. As I'm reading all the things I come across every day, as I'm reading, 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 people's stories are flashing in my mind like this. I just think this one will be good for that one. This one will be good for that. I'm texting you immediately. Have you found this information? Have you seen this? Some of you will know. I've done that with you many times. Not that I, I, I'm making a boast of this here. I'm only telling you how you find energy to do life. But when you're always thinking about yourself alone, what somebody said to you, what somebody did not say to you, what somebody looked at you, what you ate yesterday, what you did not eat yesterday, what your wife gave you, yeah, life will be such a difficult place to be. <laughs> Hallelujah. There is a time to build. God will keep helping us to build and build for others in Jesus' name. Very quickly, expressions, expressions, expressions. This is the time to use our God-given emotions to endure and enjoy seasons of life. This is the time. This is every time we come across the opportunity to do the things that are written in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 4. Let's not underplay them. Let's use them well. Let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 4. The Bible says there is a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Every one of those things are expressions of life that God himself has created in the process of time. Many of our Pentecostal generation do not like to acknowledge that a time to weep is a godly time. We do not like to acknowledge that mourning is something Jesus and the word of God recognizes and it is something that should be done when appropriate, when necessary. But every one of us must understand that weeping and mourning help us to live through the difficult night seasons of life. But these seasons have been defined for us in this life as temporary. The Bible says that they are momentary periods. They are light afflictions. He, Psalm 30 verse 5, he said, For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night. But what? Joy comes in the morning. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Joy is coming. Every time you are going through a weeping, don't weep for weeping's sake. Weep for the joy that is coming after. Don't just say weeping. This is why Jesus wept when he saw them at the tombstone of Lazarus. Because they were weeping and weeping for weeping's sake. Despite the fact that right in front of them was the resurrection and the life. Jesus did not weep because he, you know, he had nothing to do. He wept because they, they could not understand that, yes, this man is dead. Yes, this man, is, is, there is a pain and there is a sorrow that's come about by the loss of this great man, his friend. But the reality is that he, he is the resurrection and the life. And everyone who is weeping must understand that joy is coming with the morning light. If you cannot see the joy of today, at least you must see the joy that is coming in the life hereafter, where there will be no more weeping, no more sorrow, no more gnashing of teeth. Hallelujah. Let's learn to understand. Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, when you mourn, we live through life. Life is real. 
Life processes will happen. You know, we don't like to talk about, like, like last week when we were talking about the time to be born and the time to die, some preachers are even afraid to preach these things because people are afraid of these things or they are not popular. They are not things people want to hear. People don't like to hear that life can throw stuff at you that will make you weep and mourn. People don't like to hear that because they, they, they make them look faithless. No, that is pride. Nobody will live forever. Nobody will live forever. We love one another and we understand. But you know something? One day, somebody will go. We only pray that we go at the time God has ordained. And when that person goes, we mourn. We have to mourn. I'm not praying for any of us here to live before our time, God forbid. But we've got to live in the reality of it. I listen to great servants of God. I told you I have a lot of people who have done these things for years that I look up to learn from their stories. And I've always said nobody's perfect, but I learn from their stories and look at the things they've been doing to encourage those of us who are just starting these things. Pastor John MacArthur has been pastoring for about 50 years, going to 60 years now. And John said something one day that I never forgot. He said, the longer you live in ministry, the more you see everything. He said, in this church, and he was, he's very tough, the way he talks. He said, in this church, I have dedicated children. The same children I got them married at age 22. He said, the same children, I watched them have their own children. I have dedicated their own children. And I can tell you, sadly, the same people I have buried at age 45. It's tough. But that is a reality. You see somebody born, you see that person's children, right up to the time where they died, and you are still in ministry. So when such things happen, we don't just say, oh, we can't mourn, or we say we are faithless. No, that is a process of life that has taken place. Some people will leave this earth at 40. Some live at 60. Some live at 70. When I heard about um, uh, T.B. Joshua of Nigeria's uh, uh, age, I was shocked. I thought, I told my wife, I thought he was already in his 60s. 57, you shake the world so much. Whatever people believe, I don't, that's their business. But the man shook the world. You cannot deny it. 57 years old. Then I subtracted my age. I said, ah, this man is just five years older than me. <laughs> and I can't scratch the surface of what he has achieved. What he achieved. Just five years older than me. There are people like that. They will they come like a storm and they 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 hit the, the whole global sphere with so much power and impact. Do you know that Martin Luther King Jr. was just 39 years old? 100 years later, we're still talking about him. 39 years old. 60 years, sorry, years later. We're still talking about him. 39. 39. That's the age some people in one country like that. Okay, let's go on. <laughs> That's when they're just deciding the career that they want to... <laughs> they're just deciding to, you know, to know whether they want to be a mechanic or a... <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. <laughs> so there's a time to weep and mourn, but we must understand that it is temporary to take us to that joy that is waiting. Hallelujah! Amen. We pray all the time that God will comfort us. Some, uh, Isaiah 40 verse 1 says, Comfort my people. God has made provision for comfort. If you are going through any period of grief... Brethren, whether you are still hurting from something that's happened last month, last year, it's time to move into the phase of rejoicing, which is the next phase. He said there is also a time to laugh and a time to dance. This is a time we express the faithfulness of God. That you are still alive is out of God's faithfulness. 
Hallelujah. It is natural for you to feel the way you feel, but it is also supernatural for you to press into the thing that God has already done for you. Psalm 126 verse 1. He said, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Verse 2 says, then our mouth was filled with laughter. Our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then they said, among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. When we laugh, we heal. I told you just a few weeks ago, Proverbs 17, 22 says, laughter is like medicine. Laughter does good like medicine. Laughter is very, very therapeutical. It can help you to overcome a lot of life challenges. So find a way to laugh. Even when you are mourning the the, the loss of a loved one, think about the things that they said and did. That was what I did when my late elder brother went to be with the Lord about six years ago now. And I had the opportunity of going home for the first time to see my parents physically. When we met, obviously it was an emotional moment. But then, as soon as I could get myself and everybody together again, I just started talking about the good things, the funny things he did in his time. And all the great times we have. And everybody started to laugh. Started to laugh. And that was how all that tension was being diffused. So we must understand. He said, he has turned our mourning. Psalm 30 verse 11. He said, he has turned for me my mourning into dancing. I need my scriptures. I've got it now. You have turned my mourning for me into dancing. Is somebody projecting? You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. The Lord will continue to turn your mourning into dancing. I say he will continue to turn your mourning into dancing. In the name of Jesus. God has a purpose for everything. God knows why that we go through what we go through. There are certain things that I, I, I have gone through in life that today I cannot explain and tell you exactly this is why. But I know God knows why. And I want you to know everything you are going through in your life. God has assured you as a lover of God that all things will work together for your good. Now say with me, for I know, and do your hand like, that, like this, for I know that all things will work together for my good and moving forward. I know that all things will work together for my good and moving forward. Because you love the Lord. It is written. Life is like an uphill. God showed me a picture very recently. It's like going uphill because the path of a justice has a shining light. What we want is we want a smooth ride like that as we go up. But this is what God showed me. You go up, you do that. You are still going up. <laughs> Can you see yourself undulating as you are going up? That is very important. That's very important. Those of you that like mountain climbing, will understand what I'm saying. All of you are, what is he doing? <laughs> Three years ago, we went to South Africa and they, we were in Cape Town. They, gave, they drove us to the high point of Cape Point. Very, very high point like that. And they said to us, if we want to use the mountain to come down or use the bus, I, I said, I want to use the bus. <laughs> I don't want to come down the mountain. Hallelujah. But it's undulating, but it goes up. That is how life is. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, for you are with me, you comfort me. I'm going up, hallelujah. And then I come through the valley of the shadow of death. You are with me, but I'm going up. Say, I'll keep going up. Regardless of what comes my way, I'll keep going up. 
in the name of Jesus. I want to close on this. Our focus must always be on, not on our present dispositions, but where we are going. Revelations 21. He said, there is a new heaven and a new earth. Note down Revelations 21, verse 1 to 7, particularly, but I'll read very quickly now. There's a first heaven and the first earth, which we are now passed away. This is after God comes down and after the millennial reign. A new earth will be established. A new heaven will be established. He said, then I, John, saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of that heaven God has prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. He said, I heard a loud voice from the heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and they shall be their God. Hallelujah. And verse 7. Verse 7 says, sorry, verse 4. Let me read verse 4. He said, and God, let's read verse 4 together if you can see it now. Let's go together. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So shall it be in Jesus' name. Well, every time you remember this, know that whatever you are going through now is temporal. Every time, remember there is a day that is coming that every sorrow, every mourning, every crying shall pass away. But whilst we are in this world, there is still a time to weep. There is a time to mourn. But always remember, it should culminate into a time to laugh and a time to dance because you will celebrate God's faithfulness all through in the name of Jesus. Rise to your feet and let's quickly talk to God about this matter.